All right, let's see. Um, we've been going through uh, talking about the Apostle Paul, and um, we have this passage from Philippians chapter 3 where we really get this incredible insight as to what motivated him, about what his life was about, about what he, what he, what he thought his life counted for. And we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks about, um, the, about this uh, uh, in, in our hearts that there's this yearning for meaning and there's this yearning for significance. And we're all born with it. We all have this something in us that pushes us for something greater and bigger than ourselves. And uh, that's what we've been talking about a little bit. And, and we see in Philippians chapter 3, we, we see Paul saying things like, I, I want to I know Christ. I want to, everything that I had before in my life that I used to consider positive, now I consider loss compared to this one thing that I might know Christ. Um, and then he says uh, what, what uh, Clay was quoting just a minute ago. He says, not that I've already attained all this, but... Uh, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And what he's, what he's saying there is that Christ Jesus took hold of me for a reason, for a cause, for a purpose. And he says, and now I'm pressing on in my life to try to grasp hold of that purpose or that cause or that calling that Jesus Christ took hold of me for. Um, and it's just an incredible thing and a, an amazing thing. And we get to see a little bit about this man who was maybe the greatest missionary to ever live and also wrote so much in the New Testament about what really drove him in his life, about what his purpose and his goals were. Um, and then, you know, to look at us just for a moment, um, w you know, we look for meaning all around us. We look for significance. We look for purpose. And we look for something important in our lives all around us. Sometimes, you know, we, we hope that we would find uh, our significance in love. You know, we, 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 we hope to find our significance in the eyes of a, of a young man or a young woman, you know. But, uh, but you find as you, as you go through life that that's just not quite enough, you know. And, and as you go from one person to the next trying to squeeze your significance out of them, you realize that they're actually a pretty lousy substitute for God, you know, as, as important and as... as, as uh, as important as love is and, and marriage is in the scriptures, it is not fulfillment like God is fulfillment. Well, some people try to find, uh, try to find their significance in a career or a job, and then, you know, they're, they're always achieving, always pushing on, they're always working, they're always looking for their next promotion, but you know what they find over and over again is it's never satisfying enough. It's never enough some people you talk to, they think that they're, the meaning or the significance that they're looking for is that, well, if I can just figure out my talents, if I can just figure out what I'm good at, and if I can just work at, at, at my talents and work for those things that, that really make me who I am, then I'll be fulfilled. Well, the bad thing is, is there's, of course, there's always someone better than us right? It doesn't matter what you achieve. There's always someone who has that talent in greater, uh, greater measure than you do. There's always someone uh, who it is. And, and to be real honest, no matter what you achieve in your job and your career, it's just never enough to satisfy us. It's never enough. And so we're born with this incredible need for meaning and significance, right? Blaise Pascal said, we're, uh, we're born with a, with a hole in our lives. We're born with a need for God in our lives. And to be real honest, love is good. Uh, a career is good. Talents are good. But they are a lousy substitute for God. Right. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right.
Um, so let me, let me go through. I, what I want to do today, we're going to spend, I've got a whole bunch of scripture for you this morning, and I want to point you to um, one thing that the, the, that the scripture is replete about, that it just says over and over and over about what the cause or the purpose for one thing after the other is, and, uh, and we're going to come back to it here at the end. Um, so here's the question that I pose to you. What is the answer for what satisfies us or what gives us significance, what gives us purpose. What is the one answer? You know, we talked about, you know, it, it could, you know, for some of us, we think it's family. Well, you know, if my children are happy, well, I'm happy. Well, you know, that works out really good until your children finally some find themselves unhappy, right? And then it, that doesn't work very well. What, what is the one thing that brings us significance and purpose in this life? What is the one answer? Um, uh, ben Stewart says it like this. What, what is it that those old theologians, those old dead theologians from, uh, from the 300 AD to the 1500s, what was it that they said and what they wrote and they referred to as the chief end of man? What is it that's, that's absolutely the, the purpose for us here? Uh, what is that one thing that will actually satisfy us? Would you, uh, we're, I'm going to have most of these on the screen. Some of them, we have so many, they're not going to be that's right. We're not going to have them all. I'm not going to have them all on the screen because we're going to go through a bunch this morning. But I just want to show you uh, this thread in the scriptures that exists from the very beginning through the very end. In uh, Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. The scripture says that, uh, uh, that the skies proclaim the work of the, his hands, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. Just by their existing, they are, are explaining and expressing uh, through the expanse of the skies, through the darkness of the night, through the brightness of the stars, uh, and the glory of the sky, he says, they're explaining and expressing and pouring forth speech, telling all of creation about the glory of God. The creation is for the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 48, verses 9 through 11, he wrote this. This is uh, the, uh, Isaiah speaking for God. He says, For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. What's that say? Um, the, the Lord was very patient with the Israelites over and over and over again. They fell into sin. They would worship, uh, you know, the gods of the people who were there, they were around. And over and over again, God would, would bring punishment and then would, would always save a remnant. He would always save some. And when they would cry and call out to him, he said, I will, I will heal you. I will restore you. And he replaced a, a leader over them who was righteous. And over and over and over again, you see this in the Old Testament. And he says, for my own sake, I delay my wrath. He doesn't say, because the Israelites were so cute, I just couldn't do it. You know, I just couldn't wipe them out. He says, no, for my own sake, for my name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to cut you off. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. A powerful statement from God, right? I will not yield my glory. But we see in creation, declaring God's glory, we see God's patience, he says, is for my own namesake, so that my, my name will not be forsaken. I've delayed my wrath, and I've shown mercy to my people for my namesake. In Exodus chapter 9, this is fascinating stuff. Exodus chapter 9, 
Um, this is the Lord speaking to Moses about sending plagues on the Egyptians. And it says this in, Moses, in Exodus chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of, of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Let me pause there for just a moment. How many plagues did God send on Egypt? Ten, yes. All right, let's brush up a little bit on our Old Testament. Um, yes, he sent ten plagues on Egypt. Do you ever wonder why that is? You ever wonder why he sent ten plagues? Well, you know, if he had just started with number ten, I'm pretty sure they'd have been out of there. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, after he killed the firstborn, I'm sure the Israelites would say, or the Egyptians would have said, you know what, I think he's serious. Uh, we'll back off here, you guys go. Uh, but he sent ten plagues. He sent ten examples of his power uh, on Egypt, and here he's going to tell us why. He says this, For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. Right? <laughs> That's pretty funny. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> to me. Uh, he says, I could have wiped you off the earth. I could have sent a plague and no one would even remember you anymore. I could have done that. He says, but I've sent ten plagues instead. And listen to what he says. But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that, my, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. He says, I am sending ten plagues on you and demonstrating my power so that the whole earth might know and see that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. Why ten plagues? God says, because I want to demonstrate my power on you, the Egyptians, right? Very strong, very powerful nation in its time. And God says, I raise you up for this purpose that I might demonstrate my power through plaguing you. How about that? All right. Uh, Psalm 106 says this. Uh, says that God saved the Israelites for his namesake. It says this. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. So it, what's it say? He says, uh, he says, when our fathers in Egypt, they forgot about God, right? They forgot about all the miracles they'd done. They forgot about the ten plagues that he had, he had saved them out of, out of Egypt. And he says, and they didn't remember you. They didn't remember your kindness. And so it, why did he save them? It says in verse 8, it says, yet he saved them for his namesake to make his mighty power known. Why was he patient? Why did he save Israel? For his namesake. Why did he create creation so that, with the, so that his power and his glory might be displayed on the earth? Uh, why did he show his patience toward the Israelites for his namesake? Uh, why did he send ten plagues of Egypt so that his name might be proclaimed in all of his earth and his power might be known? In Psalm 79, verse 9, uh, the psalmist writes this. He says, help us, O God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Even in petition, the psalmist prays, for your glory, for your majesty, for your glory, would you help us? Would you help us? His deliverance and, I'm sorry, uh, for the glory of your name, deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Forgive us our sins and deliver us for your name's sake. Why does the Lord deliver us and forgive us for his name's sake? So when we pray to him, why do we ask for his help? For his glory. Yeah. First Samuel First uh, Samuel, verse uh, chapter seventeen, it says uh, that the reason that David faced Goliath, David said, "So the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel." Um, in Psalm twenty-three, you remember Psalm twenty-three, it says, "He guides me in righteousness." Why? For His name's sake. 
in Luke chapter 2, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, in Luke chapter 2, at the birth of Jesus, angels came at Jesus' birth, and they said, glory to God in the highest at Jesus' birth, proclaiming there that there was going to be glory for God because of the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught the disciples what to pray, and he told them, he said, he said, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. In John 12, at the before the crucifixion, before his death, Jesus said, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Why the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? There are many reasons, but one of the primary ones that we trace through all of Scripture it is for the glory of God. Why is it that the birth of, of Jesus was for the glory of God? Uh, why is it that David faced, the, faced Goliath so that all of the, the world would know that there is a God in Israel in petition, in, in creation, uh, in all of these things? Uh, we see that the theme throughout so much of the Scripture is for the glory of God. Are you with me? All right. Let's, let's track on. I've just got to have a few more, and then we're going to get to the, the crux of all this. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 6 and 7 says that God created us for his glory. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. I will bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, for I, for whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So you and I were created for his glory. Glory. You and I were created for his glory. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that we're supposed to declare his praises. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, wonderful light. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Why do we live moral lives? Why do we try to do uh, the right things and not do the wrong things? Why do we try to live moral, good, upstanding lives? First Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Why do we try to be sexually pure in the church? Why do we not uh, be in sexual immorality before marriage and, and in adultery after marriage? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And to get to the crux of the matter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. I tell you, everything in the, on this earth is about him. Everything is about him. Everything is about his purpose, and everything is about his glory. Everything is about what he has to accomplish, and everything is about what he desires. In Romans chapter 11, it says this. This is where Paul breaks into doxology, dox, breaks into praise in the middle of the letter to, to the Romans. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. From him and to him and through him are all things. You see, listen, you know, I, I remember Donald Miller uh, 
uh, talking about this in his book, uh, Blue Like Jazz. But he says, I, I, gr- I uh, you know what, I'm sorry, it was in a, a podcast when he's talking about the book, not in the book actually itself, excuse me. But anyway, he's talking about, uh, he has this feeling, he has this, this idea that, that he's, he's always had this thought in his mind that it's like he's in a movie and he's the lead, you know, he's the, he's the lead part, he's the main character, he's the, the hero of the movie. And everything he does, he feels like is about him. And everywhere he goes, he feels like it's all about him. And, and uh, then he says to the crowd, I, I know you thought that you were in the movie and, and it, you were the hero of the movie. Well, that can't be because it's actually me, right? Uh, the silly thing about that, of course, is that it's not about us. All of creation, since, since the time of creation, it has all been pointing to the glory of God. Salvation. God's patience, his mercy, redemption, everything is for his glory. Amen? Amen. Um, okay, so what are we supposed to do with all this? <laughs> That's a good question. This is tough. What are we supposed to do with all this? Well, let me suggest to you this. Um, you know, Clay and I got to talk a lot yesterday and... and uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about our own weakness and we talk about our own sin and our own bent towards sin, right? And what I mean is, is that it's not just that I commit sin, is that in my sinful nature, I have, I have a, 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 what's that word? I'll come up with it. Give me just a minute. Do we have any theme music we can play while I'm thinking? <laughs> we have this, I can't think of another word besides bent. We have this, this bent towards sin that we were have a natural tendency for it, right? It's not just that, you know, I'm following God really well, and then, oh, man, one day I just, man, I just kind of fell off the track. No, it's that in me there is something broken and not right, and instead of glorifying God, I'm much more interested in myself, and I tend toward sin because there is something broken in me. Yeah? Right? It's not that I'm doing such a great job and occasionally I just slip up. It, no, 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 no. The, the truth is, is that there is some natural bend in me away from God and towards sin. Yeah? Uh, I remember hearing the story of a guy named David Busby talking. He said, he said sin is not so much about just we, we slip up or, or mess up. It, it, sin is this, is that in every one of us, it, we carve out a place for sin. We make opportunity for it uh, so that we may, may spend time on it, that we may contemplate it in our minds and we carve out a place for it so that we may feast on sin. It's not that we just mess up occasionally. It's that we have a hopeless corruption in us towards sin. Right? Okay. Now, with that in mind, think, think about this. The God of all creation made a way for us to be in right standing before him despite the brokenness in us. That is a glorious God. And listen, it's not only us, but he has a plan to redeem the entire creation, all of it. He's going to redeem it all from the brokenness of sin. Uh, Romans, and Paul writes about this in Romans. He says, the whole earth, the whole creation is waiting to be restored. It's waiting for God's redemption, and so are you and me. And we're, we, you know, we're built with, we, we come with this, with this natural corruption that, that points us away from the glory of God. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul's writing and he says, uh, he says uh, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for created things. 
Well, he, and he's talking about images. They, you know, that the people of the Old Testament, they carved down images and they worshiped them instead of worshiping God. But can I tell you this, this morning, all the, all the things in the Old Testament about idolatry is still true of people today. We don't carve out images in, you know, in wood or ivory or gold or, or whatever, but we have other things that we put in place of the significance of our significant creator and God. Are you with me? We are much more sophisticated than the Israelites were, but we still have problems with idolatry. Every time you and I try to get our significance out of something of this created world, whether it be in love or a career or in your talents or in your family, all those are good things. But when you set that up to find your significance in, it's an idol. Yeah. But here's the truth. Here's the amazing thing. In the middle of all of that, God is redeeming us. And he's taken those broken pieces, and he's taken our broken, bent, sinful nature, and he's making us new. That is a God worth glorifying, amen? That is a God that when I come to and I can be honest with him and I can tell him, listen, it's not just that I slip up sometimes. It's that I have this natural bent away from you. How's that song go? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We are all prone to wander away from God. But he, in his glory, redeems us. Amen? It's an amazing, amazing, incredible thing. All those things are good. Family is good. Love is good. Uh, uh, talents are good. Careers are good. But they are lousy gods. And to be real honest, when you and I have those things as priority in our lives, priority one in our lives, and not the priority two that they should be, we dishonor God and we commit idolatry just like the, the Israelites in the Old Testament. But he has a plan to redeem us and to make us new. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to close with this, just one argument here before we leave. Um, you know, uh, people hear things like this and they hear about God um, wanting to be uh, the focus of our attention. And C.S. Lewis wrote about this. He said, he said he read through the Psalms, and he said, it, he said, I read through the Psalms about God wanting to be delighted in and to be praised. And he said, I felt like, he said, I, he wrote, it was like an old woman who was looking for compliments, you know, who was looking for compliments. He said, I felt like God was being an old woman. But then he realized this. He realized that uh, that no, it's not that, that God is, is, is some, old, some person who's so insecure that he's looking for someone to compliment himself. But he says this, he says, but here's the deal about, about things. He said, when you have something valuable in your life, you share it with the people you love, right? You, you know, you see a good movie and you share it with your friends. Or, um, uh, you, you know, you, 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 you like to eat good food, and, and what do you do? You know, you know, we like to invite people over and share in good food and good drink together, right? We enjoy sharing those things together. Here's the deal. There is nothing more valuable in the universe than God. And so what should he share with us? Himself, right? If he shared anything else with us, he would be having us pursue an idol. Are you with me? If we pursued anything less than him, it would be pursuing an idol. And so he says, like it says in the Psalms, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in me. Uh, you, you come and you find me, and you will find that, 
uh, you know, when he talked to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she was going around from man to man to man to man, trying to find fulfillment in her life. And Jesus didn't get on to her to say, you need to, to lose this hunger and this thirst in you. It's bad. You need to deny yourself. He didn't say that. He said, you need to take your thirst to the right place. You need to bring it to me, and I will fulfill you. Yeah. Incredible teaching, incredible stuff. He didn't tell her, you deny yourself. You shouldn't have those needs. You shouldn't have that thirst and that hunger. He said, no, you have a hunger and you have a thirst. And you're, the problem is, is that you're taking it to the wrong place. You're taking it to a created thing instead of the immortal creator, right, who can actually fulfill our thirst and our needs and bring a significance and purpose in our lives. Amen? All right. Let's close with this. Isaiah 26, verse 8, says this. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. I just challenge you to memorize that this week. Isaiah 26, verse 8. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Listen, all of creation points to the glory of God. God's patience uh, he exhibited in his, and, and mercy he exhibited for his namesake. He saved the Israelites for his own namesake. Uh, the, Jesus went to the crucifixion so that he may glorify God. Throughout all the scripture, you see this theme that everything is for his glory. Everything is for him and through him and by him that he may be praised. And if we're living our lives for something else, we're living for less meaning, we're living, living for something with less significance, and, you're, and you and I are an idolater, right? There is nothing greater than this. And all of the scripture points toward this, that everything is for him, him and his namesake and for his glory. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. May it be true of us, amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look in your scriptures, we see over and again that, that, that the direction of the world, the way that you've built the, the, the world and, and, and systems and your creation and the stars and, and everything, you've built them for your glory. You built the, you built the, the skies and the stars that they, that they might reveal you and your power in your beauty. Uh, you, you built love so that we might look for it in you. You built uh, relationships so that we might relate to you. You built uh, uh, jobs and careers so that we can find some, some, uh, some satisfaction in our work in this life. But Lord, we know that this is not supposed to be our priority. We can read your scriptures and we can see that your name, your renown, and your glory, those are to be the desires of our hearts. Father, I pray as we go through this next week, Lord God, I pray that you would help us not to substitute some created thing for that significance in our lives, but to put in our lives in that, in that place of, of highest priority and highest praise and, and highest glory, the only thing that belongs there, Lord God, and that is you. Lord, I pray, make our hearts, make the desire of our hearts your name and your renown. 
pray in the mornings, Lord God, as we, as we face the day for the very first time, let us be cognizant of this, that, that uh, we have a choice to make. We can either be living for something else or we can be living for you. You can be the focus of our lives or you can be uh, somewhere lost in the background. Father, I pray that you would help us to live for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Listen, thanks for being here this week. Lord, bless you. Love you guys. Thanks for being here. Y'all have a great week, and I uh, hope everybody gets a day off tomorrow, or most folks get a day off tomorrow. No, I know not everybody does, but y'all contemplate these things. Uh, y'all uh, read and memorize there in Isaiah chapter 26. Y'all have a great week. Thank you. <laughs>